Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. My guest today is a digital marketing expert with over eight years of experience and has worked with numerous organizations in helping them create and develop branding strategies that make an impact. Along the way, she discovered life coaching and was fascinated by the impact and transformation that it had on her own life. And as a result, she decided that she wanted to help support others in their own journeys and transformations and is now a certified coactive coach and emotional intelligence practitioner. She works by supporting leaders and entrepreneurs across lifestyle, community, and marketing sectors. She has always been passionate about building communities, which led her to launch and create Women Who Want More, which is a collaborative personal growth platform that supports and celebrates courageous women in the Emirates and aims to empower them through their content to seek out new opportunities and help them achieve their goals. During this episode, we discuss the dynamics and the complexities surrounding human emotions, she shares with us her journey and experience as a coach and marketer, and we talk about her vision for the future with women who want more. She has helped successfully transform the lives of so many people through her coaching practice. She has already built an incredible community with women who want more, and the platform is constantly growing day by day. And as she says, to always remember that you have a choice and that true freedom lies in the perception that you have. Please welcome to the show the founder, connector, and content creator of Women Who Want More, the amazing Miss Lorna King. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. Uh, it's pretty funny that two weeks ago we had no idea who we were, and now we had a Zoom call, and now here we are in person having a podcast, which I think is pretty cool. It is, yeah. I think I connected with you quite randomly on LinkedIn, and it's, uh, it's worked out quite well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lorna, I wanted to start just with you know your whole journey and your story with moving to Abu Dhabi you've been here for about seven years now so just walk us through maybe why did you move here and how's that experience been for you so far um I think I'd always known I'd wanted to live overseas so I'm from a town just north of Manchester in the UK and although I've got a, a huge fondness for that place it was um always on my radar to, to experience living somewhere else. So I did some um, holiday repping when I was a teenager. I did six sort of summers and winters in Europe, um, but it wasn't really a career. So after I graduated university, I started looking at my options, trying to find out places that were English speaking. And um, I had a friend who lived here. And so I asked her, you know, could she put my CV forward? And, and sort of the rest was history. And it's it's funny how things turned out actually, because you know, I met my husband the first day I arrived in the country, which obviously I didn't know it was going to be that way in the time. We've got two children together now, and I absolutely love living in the capital. That's awesome. That's so funny that you met him on the first day that you moved here. I know. I don't really believe in fate, but it is um, very uncanny with the timing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it's funny that a lot of expats that moved to Dubai or the UAE, they don't always plan to be here for so long as we spoke before and yeah. so were you planning to be here as long as you've been so far or did it just kind of fall into place I think it's good that I had no expectations um I just wanted to come out here and I didn't ever think about when I would go home again I for me it's always about am I still getting value from this and I think the beautiful thing about living in the UAE is that you know the majority of people are here by choice and every year they can sort of assess that decision. Is this still right for me? Um, is there something better out there? Your options are often a bit wider. I know it's not the same for everybody, but being from the UK, we have that privilege of being like, well, I can always move home. Um, so each year I'm, I'm saying, you know, am I happy here? And I always have been to this point and I, I think I will be for a while. Mm. And do you think one of the advantages, as you mentioned, of the UAE is that 
you don't you don't necessarily have such a commitment you know your options as you mentioned are pretty open um I hadn't really thought about it like that but for me it's um you know I've, I've been enjoying my career growth here um the friends I've met are incredible and, and diverse and the types of people as well that you meet here again are here by choice so you have that in common and I think that's a, a really lovely thing people tend to be quite motivated and self-starting and ambitious which is lovely yeah that's definitely one thing about you know I think the UAE is that a lot of people are pretty ambitious pretty passionate here a lot of people like to start their own you know their own businesses and so on so I totally agree with you with that um, it was interesting that you've been working in marketing for quite a while but even more interesting that's in been in the medical sector so with Bupa with Cleveland with mm -hmm. medical solutions and I spent a year working in the medical sector too selling to the medical sector so I believe if you can market to the medical sector you can market to anyone because it's a very you know picky picky bunch well um yeah you're right I've been in healthcare marketing for um, almost 10 years I think across the UK and here and I think what I've learned about it is that nobody wants healthcare. Um, so it's all about building that relationship with them. How can you build um, that relationship whilst they're healthy still? How can we create content? So one of the things in my in my last job, which was for a governmental hospital in Abu Dhabi, is um, managing a blog. And that is, you know, how can you stay well? How can you manage your conditions? Um, what are signs and symptoms you should look out for? But even things like, you know, how can you prevent hair fall? What is relevant to the people in their day-to-day -day lives re regarding well-being and um, giving them the information that serves that? So when they do get sick, you know, inevitably, you know, some people will, um, that they'll think of us first. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned that nobody wants to talk about, was it to talk about healthcare or... They don't want to think about shopping around for healthcare. When you're well, it tends to be something that you don't give much thought to. Um, yeah, and, and some people do feel uncomfortable thinking about it as, as something they would go shopping for. It's, it's not the way people tend to perceive healthcare. They just know they're sick and they want help. And you sort of want to be on top of mind and be that trusted partner when, you're choosing, when they're choosing that yeah. provider. Mm. So, yeah, I think you mentioned a very good point that we only take our healthcare seriously even now like look with this whole pandemic is when everything you know doesn't go well and things start you know yeah which is which is fine um i think that's uh, i mean i'm a big advocate for preventative care and that was something that we really tried to raise awareness of in my uh, in the hospital i was working for you know how can you go and get your colonoscopy if you're of that age your, your mammography um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or whatever it is that you need to take care of yourself because you know it, it's a cliche but a stitch in time really saves nine if you don't want to be sick then those are the times you need to be thinking about your health care you know go and get checked out yeah go and get checked out no totally i think you mentioned a good point about preventative care you know the sooner you can or the more measures you take to stop it from happening is probably going to save you a lot more time and you yeah. know pain that after it happens to you an early diagnosis and i know we've talked a lot about mental health as well i'm a huge advocate of that you know people often wait until they they can't cope and i would love people to know that there's actually a choice long before that you don't have to be really sick or unable to function before you go and get support for your mental health as well so yeah prevention is a is something i'm very very keen on yeah uh, we're just as we were talking earlier about mental health um you mentioned a good point that a lot of people don't take it maybe as seriously as they should, or maybe they're not aware of it, that they need some help. So what do you think, why do you think, especially like work, people still struggle with mental health issues and communicating that? 
I think because it is relatable to an extent because everything's a spectrum so you can be feel anxious as a person and not have anxiety so I think a lot of people will then go you know it's okay I feel like that too it's normal Um, you just need to go take a bath or take some time away from the kids or whatever it is or take it easy at work Um, and I think we we sometimes are too quick to normalize it in in the best you know um, best intentions but also sometimes that takes away from the fact that you know, it's okay to go see someone. And, you know, I've, I've said to someone before who was clearly suffering from depression, just go and see a psychiatrist, just go and get it checked out. You don't need to take any medicine, just go and see what they say. And they're like, but I'm not crazy. And I'm like, if you were, you know, if you had a problem with your heart, you'd go and see a cardiologist. It's about seeing the right doctor for the right thing. Um, and, you know, as with any sort of healthcare decision, you don't have to take that advice on board, but sometimes it's, it's good just to have that discussion. Yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned a good point about we normalize it, so sometimes maybe we undermine the seriousness of what mental health is or having a good mental health state is. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You've been working in marketing for a while, and this is something I know nothing about for the record. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious to hear from you how would you define marketing? How would you describe it to someone? Let's say I'm someone, I'm like, oh, what is marketing? What would you say to that? It's, uh, I mean, people would describe it in different ways. The reason why I love it is because it's, it's based in consumer behavior, which is in the sort of psychology field. So for me, it's about understanding what people currently perceive and what perception you want to put out there and sort of moving people towards that. Um, I'm particularly keen on making it the so it's not about sales, right? You're not charged with selling things as a marketer. However, you want to make it as easy as possible for people who would want that to come to you. Exactly. You know, whether it's making your website more usable and intuitive or whether it's putting the right messages out there that speak to the right people, um, it's all about how can we serve these people better. Okay. Um, one thing I read about marketing is that I think you touched on it a little bit it's about the perception, but it's also you want to make people feel something. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, for example, when I think of Apple and you buy like an Apple product, what do you feel with that? Oh, I feel it feels cool. It feels sleek. It feels clean. That's So is the perception and the feeling, do they go hand in hand, would you say? Definitely. And I think as well with Apple, they've done really well in terms of making people feel part of something. Um, it's more than just a product. You're entering sort of a community. And I think that's a... I mean, that's desirable to everybody. Everyone wants to feel like they belong, and whether that's to a mainstream sort of commercial product like Apple or whether it's a smaller local vendor such as, you know, like I love Shook Shoes, I always talk about them. Um, And I like being seen as part of that crowd, you know, like supporting these small businesses and, I mean, the fabulous shoes as well. They're very sparkly. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely, I mean, identity plays into a big part of this and brand perception and price and perception are, are things that I am wildly curious about. It's, it's very interesting how people see something to have different value just because of a different price that you place on it. It's, yeah, blows my mind. Interesting. Do you think the, because uh, you, you touched on the price, do you think if I market this well enough, that will overcome maybe the high price that is set on the product? This, I mean, positioning is a big part of it. Um, so it's the way you portray that product um, with all the different touch points and how you communicate and the visual brand. 
but also actually the price itself will indicate the quality to someone. So uh, there's things that, um, can, am I allowed to say brands like Weetabix? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's well known that Weetabix, which is a popular cereal in the UK it, at least, um, makes cereals for supermarkets who price it obviously a lot less than the branded product. So it's the same product, it's priced differently, but more people will pay for the more expensive one because of the promise that the brand delivers. So the price kind of is an identifier of the quality of the product or the brand? Yeah, you can have the same product and price it in two different in two different ways or package it in two different ways as well and people will think it's more effective or not. And this is a big thing with coaching, right? So I'm a, I'm a certified coach as well. And I've spoken to many coaches and some of them are char- charging thousands of dirhams per hour um, because of the life-changing work that they do. Like these people are able to make, you know, people get on the right path and unleash that power to become a CEO or become you know that business starter or just live that that life of contentment and peace and happiness so I completely you know agree with that and then there's some people who think well this is um you know almost like a charitable work like I'm doing this to help people the issue can come then is that the clients that they get aren't as committed because they haven't invested in it and also when you don't pay for things you don't tend to value them as much or if you pay too little not too little but you pay less the more you pay for something sometimes the the brain subconsciously thinks oh this is worthwhile so then they'll put in more work they'll turn up more um you know uh, committed to the whole process and they'll get better results so it's almost i don't want to say it's a placebo effect because coaching is grounded in a lot of research that that shows it is incredibly effective but i mean the the clinical trials do show that people can cure headaches with sugar pills if they believe it works it often does yeah it always blows my mind the the placebo effects you know it's yeah. crazy how powerful your mind is once you start believing something is working or not working the body kind of or you know everything kind of just goes according with that belief yeah i think uh, there's there's so much information on this is that netflix documentary called heal as well about holistic therapies which isn't sort of my area but it was fa- a fascinating watch nonetheless yeah you mentioned uh, your coaching, and this is something that I love talking to coaches about <laughs> because it's something I'm trying to do as well in the future. So I have like always 10,000 questions about it. So I wanted to start with how did you get into coaching and why did it become such a big passion for you? Well, it was an accident, actually. I had someone um, approach me who was already sort of a mentor at work. And when he told me he was starting to coach and would I be sort of a practice client for him, I didn't really know what I was signing up for. But that sort of decision or whatever really changed the course of my life. And I, I underwent a huge transformation at a time that I was I was really struggling in my um, professional career. And I just thought, wow, like to be able to do that for someone, what an incredible gift. And I did not research any of the schools. I said, I want to do exactly what you're doing. And I had a savings plan maturing at the time. So I just threw all my money in that and I, I sort of really committed to it. And I got certified last year. It was a long and difficult journey. I don't think I understood um, the rigor that is applied. So it's, it's an unregulated industry to a large extent, but the ICF, um, the International Coaching Federation, really makes sure that you are of a high quality before you can join it. So I think that's something to look for for anyone who's um, thinking about coach training or looking for a coach is to, to find those seals of um, quality, I guess. Um, so it's a really intensive process, and and that skill has really allowed me to 
it's really impacted every area of my life, whether it's how I communicate um, to get an idea across at work or to manage my children and understand feelings, which is actually a big thing. I, I'm, I'm a very practical person. Um, and to use feelings as information was a completely new skill to me. Um, it was very difficult and it's still a journey that I'm on. I mean, and any coach will tell you, you know, no, no one is perfect. You're not there to solve other people's problems. You're there to sort of hold up that mirror to people and ask the right questions to get the best out of them. So we're all on our own journey. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very psychological based. How can you use clean language and open questions in order to get that knowledge out of someone? Um, yeah, so it all sort of tied together for me. Um, marketing, coaching, there, there's definitely some similarities. Yeah, and um, you talked about when we spoke before about finding your niche, particularly in the coaching space, and you mentioned yours was a combination of marketing and emotional intelligence slash, you know, I guess, business psychology, right? Well, it yeah, there was a lot of pressure, especially as a marketer, to find my niche right from the beginning. Like, who is my target audience? And everyone kept saying, wait, you know, just keep coaching, keep coaching, it'll come. And I, I'm very impatient, so I got very frustrated with this <laughs> approach. Um, but actually, it, it did end up emerging um, as more in the personal branding space. Um, and I guess this is where my, my initiative um, for Women Who Want More came from, which was really about how do you purposefully understand what your your goals are for your career or, or just your life? And then how can you position yourself as a result of that and put yourself on that pedestal? I think I was so shy of putting myself out there at the beginning as, as many people are and especially women um, thinking you know I don't want to seem conceited I don't want to seem arrogant so I'll just keep my head down and work really hard and actually that is the long and treacherous path <laughs> that you can end up taking if you're you're afraid to sort of put yourself put your head above the parapet yeah something that you and um, your friend or colleague um, uh, Alia spoke about in uh, the recording that you guys did was uh, the difference between confidence and arrogance and you said that was authenticity and I thought that was really interesting could you tell me a little bit more about that that yeah that was something I discovered on my own journey to training to be a coach because you do a lot of work on yourself and I kept saying I don't want to be in front of the camera I don't want to be out there I don't want to set up my own Instagram as, as Lorna King coaching and all of these things um, and then I started to inspect what I thought confidence was and I thought about people that I didn't want to be like and that was the people who sort of walked into a room and sucked all the oxygen out and you know were really loud and a bit obnoxious and I was like wait is that truly confidence it's what people people often refer to extroversion as confidence and that's not necessarily true um so when I realized that actually a lot of these people are fronting for not having confidence my perception was like okay so what really is confidence and I looked at the people I truly believe were confident and yeah that ingredient did seem to be um, authenticity is the common thread yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that authenticity is kind of being it's about being or the way I perceived it from how you explained it was that being confident in yourself and who you are and what you believe and it doesn't need to be like you said loud and so on you could be the quietest person in the room as she said and you could be the most confident person there I think that's true and again that journey to myself for authenticity was um, sort of hard won because I wasn't being honest with myself I was so keen on being the most diplomatic the most what I thought was professional 
um I didn't truly know what I was thinking or what I wanted because I was so busy trying to sort of please everybody else and and keep things balanced so yeah I think authenticity isn't just a choice and I I don't think people choose not to be authentic I think sometimes we're just not listening close enough to sort of that intuition we kind of bury it down sometimes yeah I think the um, something you mentioned earlier about you're a practical person but learning to understand their you know your feelings and so on was challenging for you I'm very similar in that perspective so recently I've been doing some reading and I realized that a lot of times I'm trying to fix my emotion or my feeling with logic and reason and it's like trying to fix you know a problem with the wrong tools completely (laughs) and it was such a big wake-up call for me so I realized you know feelings are more about you have to take your time with them, understand them, feel them, label them. I think labeling them was a big part of it as well. Yeah, and I actually have to print out a chart and, and to be able to to see that whole range of emotions because I've learned this as well through my son and I've read a really good book, um, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. Um, and a lot of that was about helping them label feelings and going through that process with him, I realized that my vocabulary was incredibly small. I could be like, okay, you're angry, you're sad, um, you're tired or frustrated and then beyond that I was like well what else is there so I I realized I had some work there to do myself so my secondary certification was also in emotional intelligence and what I realized from that is that my emotional literacy and being able to read other people was high which allowed me to be that adaptable person to um, you know be diplomatic and give the right answers to them and make them feel better but I didn't know how to work out my own feelings and much like you I am a doer so if I felt uncomfortable I'm like okay I need to do more Mm-hmm. I need to do more. What can I do next? And um, Coactive, which is the, the course I did, balances the being and the doing. Because you'll find some people are on the other side where they're very in tune with their emotions and they're very comfortable with the being and being with themselves, but then they don't have that sort of get up and go. So it just helps balance you out. That's interesting that that course teaches you the balance between the two. I think having a balance is super important. Isn't it such a key word? And I think that's what everybody is essentially trying to achieve, right? You don't want to be too much of of anything yeah no i i totally agree uh coming back to your point on emotional intelligence i recently watched a talk um and this guy has a book called permission to feel and he was talking about how to recognize emotional intelligence and so on and i've been doing a lot of reading and it's funny how maybe the past 20 years iq has been you know the deciding factor that separates people apart you know in professional environments and so on but nowadays it's all about you know those soft skills about you know empathy about emotional intelligence those seem to be I guess what's going to carry us for the next I guess maybe 20 years and I think you know just before we started recording as well we talked about the impact of COVID and how all of a sudden you know we've been saying for so many years and employers have been saying for so many years your your mental health matters your your feelings matters but now it's more than just lip service a lot of them really are saying how are you today you know the the managers of the world are actually leaning in and asking these questions um and it's okay to say I'm not okay yeah it sounds like that that cliche thing but before it'd be like yeah I'm fine or I'm struggling a little bit but now you can say no I'm really anxious or I'm really uncertain about the future you know and I think that is sort of the silver lining or one of the silver linings that have come out of this you know very unfortunate situation um people are opening up more and are able to recognize and admit when they're not feeling great yeah I read your 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 friend, I think she's one of your best friends, you mentioned Laura Johnson, her article about COVID and being a communicator and how nothing will be the same. Yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah, and uh, how she mentioned that 
organizations of every size are going to have to change the way they work and mm -hmm. communicate. So the question I had, I like to play devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, maybe the the operational side is going to change, you know, with like Zoom, how we've been Zooming and working from home and so on. But do you think human behavior in the long term will change? Because I feel that right now, you know, we're in the thick of it. Everyone's like, yeah. we need change, we need change. Yeah. But in like a year or two, everyone's going to forget what this whole, what we actually went through. I th that's a good question. And I don't know the answer exactly. But one thing that has stood out to me is that when I am Zooming my colleagues right now, you see their homes, you see their um, families sort of, crashing in the background and all of a sudden you have a new sense of empathy for these people um not to say i'm not empathetic in the most of times but it really brings a different reality when you get that sort of glint into someone's life and also the quality of the conversations that you have are different so i just started a new job uh, three or four weeks ago and so i've never met any of my colleagues I'm, I'm meeting them all for the first time online and normally what would happen when you start a new job you would go around the office you'd be like hi i'm lorna how'd you do and maybe you'd have a five minute conversation about what their job was and then you would move on and everyone would be super busy and the way i've approached it this time is i've set sort of half an hour to an hour meetings with people and really got into the depth of that so whilst i'm looking forward to sort of meeting everyone in person because it is a different quality um there's I mean, there's pros and cons to everything, right? There's no perfect solution, um, but it's, it's different. And I've, I've still managed to get a lot out of it. Yeah, um, I think it's so funny that, you know, you just started a new job, but you've never met your colleagues. Like, when would you ever say that in, in the past? It's crazy. No, I've never seen my office. Um, it's It's been a strange but uh, quite liberating experience in many ways. And it's given me... Um, yeah, I think everybody is, is experiencing something very different, both in terms of their physical environment and also how we perceive things, right? The whole situation has given us a lot of perspective in many ways. Yeah, um, I wanted to just come back to the coaching aspect because when we had our Zoom call, you said something that really, you know, resonated with me or made me see things in a different way, which is when you said, um, at the end of the day, a coach, the key thing is to be present for your clients i think that word's crucial <laughs> and to support your clients yeah. so how have you found has it been a challenge for you being present in the moment or was that something that took you some time to learn it's still something i struggle with every single day as someone who is a doer um and i'm often accused of being an overthinker my mind is always active and uh, ruminating and things like that and coaching taught me the skill of being present I struggle to still apply that to my sort of everyday life um, and that would be a gift I would love to give myself and, and would be something I, I really need to work on. But when I'm with my clients, they've taught me how to stop and be completely present with someone and because you have to read beneath the words, right? You have to pick up those subtle cues, that body language and sometimes just work off your intuition, which again, I, I had a hard time learning to trust. Um, but yeah, presence is a huge word and and just think about your own life and the people who you love and love you back and have the best you know intentions for you in the world they're not often not listening to hear you they're they want to make you feel better they want to jump in and provide the solution or give you comfort much like the mental health thing that we said before they want to make you feel like it's okay it's not a problem you're okay actually sometimes we just need the space to say no this is awful really mm. awful and sink into that terrible feeling in order that you can actually move on from it rather than just bury it down yeah uh, actually a friend it's so funny you mentioned that a friend of mine recently you know was going through an issue and she was t telling me about it and because of the reading i've done and so on that point that you mentioned you know we always 
it's just naturally as people to our friends or people we care about we want to make you just feel better in the moment but instead i'm like no let me take a different approach so i told him like listen i'm not gonna come up with some magical thing like oh there's everything happens for a reason and so on i'm like no right now this sucks yeah this sucks yeah. and it's okay to suck you know um and i think or i think you know for me personally i think and how i saw her reaction she appreciated that a lot more than just being like oh no it's, it'll be better it will be better but yeah. in the moment it's okay it's yeah, okay yeah. to feel that way and i'm sure you've experienced it yourself it's, it's addictive right you and i'm the same in my in my real life of an in inverted quotes yeah it's you think oh i've been through something similar but nobody's experience is the same as yours ever you may have both lost your father but their experience of losing their father will be incredibly different. Their relationships, their um, their reaction to it, their emotional tools will be completely different. And even something you know much more simple like a, a problem at work. Again, you, you'll never understand the, the dynamics of someone's work relationships, their their boss's sort of persona, or the finer details. So even if you think your situation is exactly the same, you can't really advise because you're not them. Yeah. So how can you, you know, give space to them to find their own solutions? And more often than they not, speaking of Laura, she said something to me once when I asked her a question. She said, advice is what you ask for when you already know the answer. And I was like, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, she was right. Wow. I love that. That's really true. That's very, very true. You know, you just need that validation, you know, that what you already believe but hearing from someone else like oh that's advice now so yeah yeah it's it's funny how we ignore ourselves so much <laughs> <laughs> we don't want it to be the answer but we know it is <laughs> yeah um what i've learned um is that with with people i think we all on some level know what our issues are and we know that this is something that we have to, you know, address and so on. But sometimes I think, like you mentioned, with like the coaching and so on, you need someone to hold up that mirror and just take it from, you know, the back of your mind and put it right in front of your face so you can like see it like, ah, uh, okay. All mm -hmm. right, now, now like with that awareness, now, you know, it gives you the motivation to take that action. I think as well, a lot of people, they, everybody does know that deep down, but it's, it's very easy to cover it up with blame. Yeah, I think everybody does know the answers um, deep down, although it's become very habitual and it's human nature to find blame in external circumstances, whether we're blaming somebody else or whether we're blaming um, the, um, the sort of the environment or the situation we find ourselves in. Now, objectively, a lot of situations are unfair and, um, you know, people do suffer, um, but we don't really have control a lot of that of a lot of those things um, and especially not other people so whether you think someone's uh, not a nice person <laughs> to try and put it <laughs> diplomatically it, it doesn't really matter because there's not much you can do to change them what you can do is change your response to them um, and that is such a powerful tool it may feel good to really say that person's an idiot, that person doesn't know what they're talking about, they're always getting on at me, um, but none of those things are going to change your reality. And it's hard to take on that responsibility because it means that you feel, sometimes it feels like you're giving up, right? You're giving up on that anger, therefore maybe you're saying they're right, or I don't know, I've, I've been through this myself, but you know, it's, it's a much more empowering place to say that. And I take this COVID situation as, as a prime example of that as well. You know, objectively, yes, it is bad that people are dying and no one can take away from that. And I think people 
some people who are experiencing um, sort of flare-ups in mental health and, and feeling very hopeless and trapped, that is a very true reality for them. I think there's also a subset of people that are less widely spoken about who are actually finding opportunity and comfort and contentment in all of this in spite of what's going on. And I would say that I'm probably one of those people, but I wouldn't have been one of those people a year ago. I've done a lot of work with the coaching, with therapy, um, to work on my mindset to be like, you know, it is what it is. What can I do in this current environment? And again, that's just a much more um, level mindset to come from, although for me it was a very long journey I'm not saying it's an easy choice but it is something that we can sort of work towards with the right guidance and help yeah um I think you mentioned something really important about the blame it's so easy to put the blame you know outside instead of taking responsibility for you know our actions and how we feel and our response you know to certain situations mm. um but I also what I've learned for myself is that I've kind of gone too much the other way so I will not blame anyone or anything. I take full accountability and responsibility, but to the point that I think sometimes I'm too hard on myself. Yes. You know, yeah, I, I think can there's relate a, to that. Yeah. Yeah. I always think if I could have, you know, done this differently, uh, it would have, you know, the outcome would have been different or the person's reaction would have been different. Um, but I don't think it's about that. I think it's about how you feel about the outcome, not taking responsibility for your actions, but how you feel about that. If someone cuts you off in the road, you know, objectively, that's not a nice thing for someone to do. <laughs> sure. um, but, you know, you can choose to feel like, okay, I'm just going to let it go. Because think about what that anger does to you then. Because then you're probably going to go and drive up someone else's backside. Or, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no real good that comes of that. Yeah. I think something you mentioned uh, in, in your talk with Alia was that um, how do we, was it how do we let, it was about letting things go and kind of how, what I think about that whole thing about letting things, uh, letting things go is that, how, oh yeah, this was it. How is this emotion or this thought serving me now? Mm. You know, is this, what benefit am I getting from all of this? Well, sometimes it's also, what's he trying to tell me? So anger oh. is, um, is one of those things that, I had this discussion on my, my forum the other day about there's no such thing as a negative emotion. There's ones that are more challenging or uncomfortable to feel, but they're all there to serve a purpose. I mean, mastery um, of your emotions is, is actually learning how to comprehend them, not necessarily trying to eliminate them. Um, so when it comes to anger, you know, what about this is making me angry? I'm feeling disrespected. Okay, well, I need to go and deal with that at the source rather than, you know, uh, I don't know if it's just a British thing, but passive aggression. Mm. Um, you know, this person's upset me, so therefore I'm not going to talk to them for a while or whatever it is where actually, you know, everyone would be served much better by actually just nipping that in the bud if you can be honest about what it is that upset you in the first instance. Yeah, I think you mentioned a great point that, you know, emotions are not, n there's no, they're not negative or positive. There are more, some that are more pleasant and some that are more, you know, unpleasant. But yeah. what I learned recently from a book I've been reading is that emotions are messages and the really interesting part is that if you try to suppress them or not address them they're going to keep coming back that emotion is going to keep coming back because it's trying to tell you something yeah and I that was that. so mind-blowing for me i'm like okay that's a new whole new way for me to look at them there's um it's funny how certain phrases come to you at certain points in your life and um, what you resist persists was one that came to me. Ah, that's and, great. Um, it's, it's true of emotions. It's, you know, and even, again, I come back to the parenting um, analogy. 
you know, my son will be coming to me for attention. I might not now, not now. And then it escalates and it doesn't go away. It just sort of bides its time and even gets bigger sometimes. And I think it's the same with our own emotions and anything we sort of put to one side that we know we should really be looking at. Yeah. Um, something you talked about was feeling the fear and, you know, doing it anyway. So, <laughs> and I thought that was, I love that. I love that quote. Uh, so how do you, or in your experience, how have you, you know, started getting over that? your fears or the things that the blocks that you were having to get to to where you want to go I think I'm a bit um I'm, I'm worried a bit strangely anyway uh, when we talk about core values which is so important as a coach challenge is one of mine and I'll often say you know I'll jump out of a plane I'll you know go bungee jumping or whatever it is like those things are the challenges that really excite me and feel scared but you know I'm I'm, I'm really um I love them the, the true challenges for me were the vulnerability part so getting up there and doing um, like a, a pre-written speech, for example, that for me was like I wanted to be sick. I almost blacked out before I did my first. We talked about Toastmasters. Yeah, um, yeah. That was sort of one of my first steps in building my confidence as a public speaker. I, I honestly, I, I wanted to, to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was so exhilarating when I overcame it. And I guess it's just step by step. And then the next step for me was then doing a video with the confidence coach, Alia, who we mentioned earlier, um, raw and unedited and being okay with things not being perfect as well which is a, a, a huge issue for many people and I know that you believe very strongly in that as well just yeah. getting started right yeah yeah because um before I started the podcast there was or when I, f I thought a podcast is just okay it's me and a person put a microphone down and have a conversation in its essence yes that's what it is but I learned number one as the host there's a lot of onus on you to carry the conversation in terms of, I had to learn about, you know, editing, about social media and stuff. So yeah. before I even got started. So all those things, when I was looking at it, I was kind of like, ah, okay, this is a lot. And I was getting overwhelmed. I'm like, and then there's a self-promotion as well, right? You're yeah. putting yourself out there. And again, when we're talking about vulnerability, you are the product at the end of the day. Exactly. And I think this is what a lot of small business owners and people who have a passion find. They, they go out to, you know, start hairdressing or, you know create art or whatever it is but then they soon realize that they need marketing skills and they need to actually like talk about themselves and oh that's a very uncomfortable place for a lot of people but my sort of uh, life's mission is to make people feel more comfortable with that and and really support people to be their own champions and self-advocates because there's so much more available when we're not ashamed of our ourselves and our talents and and putting ourselves out there i couldn't agree more um vulnerability is something that i'm fascinated by and i watched uh, a couple things you know by brene brown of course yeah the, she's the like queen. the queen of yeah. <laughs> exactly um and i've spoken to you know some some people on the podcast about this and one and a coach as well how would you describe vulnerability because i think everyone has a different meaning for what vulnerability actually means it's so true. And I always thought it was about being comfortable with your emotions, which I thought I was because I was able to cry and tell people when I was upset. But it's that's not what emotional like emotional um, intelligence or vulnerability is about. So I would define vulnerability as anything that makes you feel like, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, the, the biggest challenge um, was to go and do free dancing. There's something called Five Rhythms in Dubai. It's now actually started in Abu Dhabi, so it's not so much of a drive for me. Um, and you go and there's no instructions. They just put music on and you move however you want to move. 
I'm like I'm, I like clarity. I like structure. I can go to a salsa class and be instructed, and I'm I'm fine with that. I'm not a great dancer anyway, but I'm okay. But it felt silly to me, and I realized that being silly was something I felt incredibly vulnerable in doing, and it's not something um, I felt comfortable at all. So again, I, 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 when I recognized this about myself, I had to go and tackle it, and I did, and then I actually ended up enjoying it and going back again and again. Um, yeah, so for me, it was yeah being silly, dancing, free dancing, but for you, it could be something completely different exactly the things that I might find super comfortable so you've got to understand what you're really resisting do you know sometimes it's okay to keep resisting them but if you really want freedom then those are sort of the places to look to really change your life I think I I couldn't agree more um one thing uh one of the coaches I had on the podcast said about vulnerability because I always thought similar to you that vulnerability was about not only being comfortable with my emotions but sharing them so I thought the more I share that's what vulnerability is and she said something that completely flipped the script on me and she's like vulnerability the your vulnerability will depend on the connection that you have with yourself Mm. and that was just a completely different way for me to look at it because when I thought about it afterwards I'm like that's true you know, the more comfortable or the more connected I am with myself, you know, my insecurities, my whatever it might be, my past, my present, that's what gives me the ability to be vulnerable to other people. Yeah, I, I, I completely identify with that. And I think that, again, it comes back to that definition. If you're comfortable sharing your emotions with other people, that doesn't make you vulnerable because you're comfortable. So it mm. comes down to that. It's, I, I call it the courage to be vulnerable and I think Brene Brown has that call to courage on Netflix and that's a really nice introduction she's obviously a shame and vulnerability researcher and obviously has many books on this topic so it's a great place to start for anyone who's interested to learn more yeah definitely and what I love about her is that not only is she a vulnerable person but like you said she's it's also from a scientific perspective like there's hard data and research that she's done on this subject which takes it from you know some people might think vulnerability is kind of, what's the word, I guess, foofy, I don't know, or how to describe it. But now yeah. when, there's, when there's data behind it, you're like, oh, no, this is actually something true. There is. And there's so much data behind all of these things, um, you know, psychology and motivation and team engagement in the workplace and things like that. It seems like a lot of people just found it a bit of an inconvenient truth because we're so drilled into thinking that, you know, these things need to be put to one side um and we sort of look for the evidence that confirms that rather than looking what's actually out there but there's reams of evidence around sort of emotional intelligence and the benefits of that and i really think it's going to seep into our culture yeah in the years ahead yeah i hope so i hope so because i think you know the uh one of my colleagues i had on the podcast he's all about helping transform work cultures to people becoming more vulnerable to understanding each other better to you know communicating better because you know he believes that the better or the deeper the relationships you have with any person or people, especially an organization, just not just how you feel at work. I think the output of your work and, you know, from a productivity standpoint is going to be so much better. I completely agree. And this is something I am always harping on about is, you know, it's a business decision at the end of the day. Yes, it's the right thing to do as well, but there are business efficiencies in taking care of your people. And I would, happily go and speak to any CEO about that um, and like you said there's data to prove it it's not just uh, coming from a coach or whatever it, it it really is the truth if you look after your people your business will be better off for it yeah and especially now with the whole you know situation 
I think if you're a company that's putting in the effort to take care of your people, okay, pay cuts might have to happen. That's just a part of what the situation is now. But if you're showing that you care about your employees, I think after this, when we come out, we come out of this, you're going to be the, I guess the culture or the environment at work is going to be a lot more, people are going to be a lot more connected and, you know, I guess maybe loyal is the right word to the company. What would you say? It's definitely an opportunity to build loyalty. And I have always believed that you don't have to shy away from difficult conversations because you care about your people. Sometimes caring about people is, is giving them the truth and giving them the hard news, but in a way that is respectful. I truly believe that you can give people any sort of information, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. You can push people away or you can bring people closer. If you are a small business owner even a bigger business owner if you can be like we we care about you unfortunately the the business isn't set up to sustain this or you know it, it's it's a pure business choice but we'll help you through the transition compared to someone going and saying well you don't need the money anyway you know like I've actually heard people say you know take a pay cut yeah I was shocked with that level of um lack of empathy sometimes and also our reality isn't everyone else's reality so you might be able to afford a 20% pay cut but you forget that a lot of people here are living on the breadline sending the money home their partners may have lost their their jobs and I I think it's so important not to assume anyone's circumstances even people who appear to be well off could be struggling under the surface have you know mountains of debt so I think um, never assume yeah I think that's and you know that whole saying when you assume you make an ass of you and me which, yeah. I, which, <laughs> which I always love I always love that saying um a quote you actually posted the other day on uh, women who want more and that's what I'm going to come to next was uh everything you've already accomplished is a mountain um it's a mountain someone else is trying to climb maybe you can give them a leg up and I loved that so it's beautiful, much isn't it it's it's perfect it's mm-hmm. perfect um and a lot of things i've spoken on with previous guests on the podcast is how i think as a society we become very individualistic in our quest for success you know it's not about let's all get there together is like i have to be selfish to get to where i want to go but i think if you you know based like, according to that quote as well if you can help people along the way and come up together i think what you can achieve and what you'll accomplish is like 10 times what you keep, could do by yourself. It is, and, and a bit like the employee engagement thing, I, I think, again, it becomes almost like a business um, efficiency. If you, you tend to get back what you give, and you it comes back in, in multiples of, of what you put in. Um, I don't think you can go wrong by helping somebody else. Uh, you know, Obviously, there's people that take advantage, but that's, on the whole, like... I believe in that balance of the universe. Um, and th- the thing I actually love about that quote as well, it actually says, you know, everything you've achieved, you might not feel like you're where you want to be, but you're an aspiration to someone else. And I think that's really important for the thing that many people are plagued with um, that we refer to as imposter syndrome. Uh, people don't want to put themselves out there, going back to our earlier point, because they're like, well, there's people who are more experienced than me. There's people who are um, more knowledgeable on this topic. And, and actually... You know, there's a lot of people who aren't and don't know what you know. So it's it's really important that you believe in yourself and the value of what you've got to offer and just get out there and do it and, and don't apologize for that. Yeah, I think that's a great last point. Don't apologize for it. That's number one. Um, the imposter syndrome, definitely something during this whole podcasting experience and, you know, learning about life coaching and stuff is definitely something I've faced because I'm like, 
why would you know why would someone listen to me who who's Khaled who am I you know what have I accomplished and stuff and then you know a friend of mine we were talking and she's like no pay attention to what you're doing you know you're doing the podcast to help people you're posting daily tips to help people so take ownership of that you mm -hmm. are doing that instead of being like oh I don't think I am being like no I am yeah and you have the work you know to prove that to you as well and I'm finding myself coaching a lot of people through content creation right now and and that is something that's coming up a lot you know I don't know everything about this topic and I keep telling them that's not important it's about how you tell this how you add value to it and the fact that you and yourself are relatable um, means far much more than some expert coming in here and, and giving us the, the, you know, the ins and outs of everything about that topic. Um, how can you tell a compelling story? And I think that's one of the biggest skills that um, a lot of marketers, podcasters, public speakers, and I think, again, it's one of those skills that everybody could use in their everyday life. So, yeah, I think that's, um, if you're looking for your next sort of Coursera, then maybe that could be it. Yeah, I think telling stories is we love stories as people you know that's we love hearing stories we love telling stories and like you said if you can deliver the story in the right way whatever the context i think you can get the message that you're trying to get across at the end of it yeah and i think that's such a powerful feeling for anyone to be able to influence and change people's minds with the stories that you tell and if that's something you're interested in, um, I think everybody's probably heard of TED Talks. Oh, of course. Um, and there's some really great books around that talk like TED, I think it's called. And there's another one that's quite similar. Um, they tell you how to put together a great presentation, and but also how to tell fantastic stories. And if anyone's seen those TED Talks, you'll know how they can be absolutely captivating over something that could be considered incredibly boring sometimes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so again, it's, it's all about how you frame it. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to come back to your coaching to ask you about this question because it's something I think about a lot. Actually, two questions. So first of all, what is what has been your biggest learning in your experience as a coach and what is something that you still currently struggle with at the moment? I think I'll answer the second one first because that answer came a lot quicker to me. I think I still struggle with all the things that I struggle with when I started to become a coach. I think I'm further along in that journey, that's all. I think who, is I, who I am as a person is not um, changed. I still struggle with being present. I still struggle with balance. Um, I still struggle with confidence, just as I did before. However, I have achieved a lot more progress in those areas than... Um, I was, you know, just a couple of years ago, even a year ago, or even three months ago. Uh, it's been an incredible journey, and I'm very, very proud of um, how far I've come. And the biggest learning as a coach was the other question. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I need a minute to think about that one. You take your time. It's like there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> it can be more than one. Um, I don't know if it's... Look... Becoming a coach was, was transformational, but it's also the actions I took as a result of learning what I learned through coaching that has got me to where I am today. And along that way, I think it's really learning that nobody really cares what you do, which sounds awful in some ways, but it's incredibly liberating another. I can put myself out there in a video and nothing terrible happens. You know, I was worried that people, again, that people would think certain ways of me and, and maybe they do but do you know what I'm, I'm going ahead I'm doing what is on purpose for me and there's no better feeling than being on purpose yeah 
I think people really appreciate effort. When you see someone else putting an effort into whatever whatever they might that might be for them, I think people appreciate it because, it, and also I think it gives them the motivation or inspires them to be like, it's not like they're doing it. It's not perfect, but they're consistent. They're committed. They're putting in the work. You know, maybe I don't need to be perfect either. Why don't I? I could do probably the same. That's true. Um, and there's a great Marianne Williamson quote about that. Um, I would love to share it with you after the show because I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like when you let your own light shine, you um, allow others to sort of take that same path and, and achieve their their goals as well. So it's almost um, selfish to keep that talent and that that confidence to yourself because you never know what impact that ha- might have in a ripple effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking on quotes, uh, so I was watching Joe Rogan's podcast and he he described quotes in such an amazing way. He's like, we love quotes because we appreciate how like a human being their mind was able to create an emotion or a feeling and put it into actual words that we take from that yeah and i think the thing about quotes is that and i'm a big fan of them too they hit you in different ways at different times um and suddenly you'll be scrolling through instagram you're like oh my god this one is speaking to me right now yeah uh, yeah it, it can it can feel uncanny um but i think things just resonate differently and something that will really speak to where I am in my sort of life's journey might not resonate as well with you um, but we put them out there right and and just see how they land and it's like you say it, sometimes it articulates what we can't quite put words to ourselves. yeah and I love them like you said because they sometimes like they just speak to you I'm like yes yeah that's what I needed to hear and it gives yeah. you like a, it can it can be a couple words, but that few words could give you a whole new perspective on so many. Well, things. I think that's what's lovely. This the brevity of them. Um, it's so succinct. That's something I struggle with, and I, I think that's uh, worrying what people think about me as well. You know, using too many words just to try and qualify what I'm saying and give more information, make sure I've got all bases covered. But they're just short, confident, and they get to the point, and that just. Yeah, catches your attention and your heart sometimes. Yeah, it goes back to that saying, you know, less is more, as they say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I wanted to come to uh, Women Who Want More. Yes. Uh, and because I think that's a great initiative you have going. And I know you've, you know, launched social media platforms before, websites. So and you love building communities, as we've spoken about before. So why don't you walk us through what, first of all, Women Who Want More is and why did you decide to start it? Again, I'm going to reverse the order of those just because it's, um, I think one leads into the other. Um, it was quite an organic um, birth. Or, uh, let me try again. <laughs> <laughs> birth works. Um, yeah, I don't like it though. <laughs> it's too, too close for comfort. Sure. Um, so it's quite, it came about quite organically. Mm, there we go. Um, I had been so focused on my career and I loved what I did. I love marketing. I love understanding what it is that makes people tick and and driving people towards actions that ultimately serve them. But I was so focused on this promotion and I wanted to get ahead in the game. And it turned out that no matter how hard I worked, no matter how many people I, you know, um, tried to make happy and convinced that I was and actually I was being very successful and everyone kept telling me you're, you're great the CEO was like you're wonderful you know we have to get you that promotion like we'll, we'll help you and it never actually came off but for six years I tried 
Um, and I made myself miserable in the process and I gave all of my time to work and it was only once I became, started coach training and then starting Women Who Want More, I realized, wow, okay, there's so much more out there. I don't have to put all my eggs in one basket and if I can't, you know, I don't have to go around begging for crumbs from a company that, you know, respected me and, and you know, I was, I was very well regarded in the company, but I wasn't getting the satisfaction out of it and the learning challenges were going, so I had to go and find my own learning challenges. And once my eyes were sort of open to this, that I could diversify what I was doing and that I could invest in things that weren't for, you know, just the corporate world, because I never saw myself as someone who wanted to start a business. I want to make that clear. I was a corporate girl through and through, and that in itself was a self-limiting belief. Interesting, okay. Um, but when I found something I was passionate about, suddenly I was like, oh my God, like this is my thing. I could work all day and all night on this. Um, so I'd been coaching, I'd been coaching internally with you know doctors and managers and then with private clients as well. And I think something just switched to me. I was like, I think I can get this message out further. Because with one-on-one -on -one coaching, you get that depth of transformation. You get to see someone's journey and you'll see like a huge impact. But actually just by changing one sort of self-limiting belief of a person, you can really change the trajectory of their life. So how can I do that on a, on a bigger scale? So I launched Women Who Want More. And as a strategic and objective-driven marketer, I always say I did it completely the wrong way around. I didn't have a brand in mind. I didn't have a tone of voice apart from my own tone of voice, which I could be consistent with because it was in my head, but it wasn't documented. I didn't have my social media strategy. And it pains me to say all this because I, anybody else who was starting out, I'd advise them to do you know, things the right way. That's my job is to, to make sure people... do. So I'm working a bit backwards now, really. Um, but... It's been fantastic. And like you say, once you get started sometimes and you have passion behind it, people just are drawn towards you like magnets. And now I've got a team of about six volunteers who are um, championing different areas. So Women Who Want More is about, you know, telling people that it's okay to want more and you can go out there and get it. And um, how can we encourage you? How can we build your confidence so that you feel empowered to go and advocate for yourself in any arena, whether that's motherhood, career, you know, um, your hobbies, your relationships. We've got um, healthy eating and exercise, but in ways that, you know, don't punish yourself. It's about, you know, loving yourself into to achieving more. Yeah. I'm curious to hear because, you know, there's something I've heard in the past from, you know, things I've read and so on. With women in particular, why do you think they, I don't know if it's, is it fear of want, maybe wanting more, like you said in your example, you know, trying to get that promotion and not being given that opportunity, even though you fully, you know, deserved it and had, you know, the success to be behind it. So what do you think is the mindset behind all that? I don't think these issues are actually exclusive to women. Um, I mean, there's 100% bias um, and subconscious bias. I don't think it's always, you know, intentional. Um, against women and, and the systems are weighted in, in favor of men just historically and it, that's going to take time to change but I, I just want to put it out there that anybody can suffer from imposter syndrome anybody can um, put up with things that they shouldn't do um, why do people put up with it I think because we're actually in spite of the, the common beliefs we're actually a very resilient bunch but I think we mistake suffering and putting up with stuff for resilience whereas actually resilience is bouncing back from adversity not putting up with it so i think we are very strong in the sense that we can shoulder a lot 
but my message is you don't have to there's easier ways as people can help you or you know just let go of whatever it is that's paining you and open yourself up to what might come yeah so kind of switching from i guess tolerance to resilience is kind of the message yeah and it was so interesting and about the um the era the tolerance it's such a an interesting word yeah i would hope for people not to tolerate and to truly feel fulfilled and excited and you know i guess the word's happier though i think fulfilled is probably more appropriate Mm. because you can be sad and fulfilled right that's true yeah i think you can be happiness is fleeting and i don't think we should expect to feel happy all the time but we can feel yeah contented definitely uh and i think happiness is a skill to develop as well i heard that quote and i'm like yeah it takes it takes work because it's not anytime even in my you know personal experience i thought i'd had to achieve or get to a certain place and be a certain person to be happy you know my happiness was all external validation mm. And when you switch and be like, no, no, I can develop the skill myself and I c- it's a choice. If I yes. make this choice and do the work, I think you also have to do the work. It's not, it's not just, okay, I'm going to be happy now and it's just going to happen. No, you yeah. have to f- mentally and like put, do work on yourself because I think the more you learn about yourself, the happier you become. At yeah. least that's my, my belief. Definitely. And there's a really interesting concept that changed my life called radical acceptance. And that is all about and it relates back to what we were saying earlier, no matter how awful something is, it's still the reality. Okay, so once you've accepted that as an absolute truth, then what do you want to do? You know, what you think about it doesn't actually, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it almost doesn't because what does, you spend a lot of time thinking, how do I, how do I feel about this? What do I think about this situation? But that doesn't change the reality of the situation. So if you can accept it, you can make a lot better choices. Yeah. Um, I was watching um, Marissa Peer. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh, definitely check her out. She's oh, Marissa Peer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do yeah. know her. She's incredible. And she was on a podcast recently and she was talking about how, you know, negative thoughts we have. And it all starts with how we think because our thoughts affect our feelings. And I thought that mm. was super interesting. You know, that's what has to be changed. Definitely. And I don't know if you're familiar with the law of attraction, um, the secret and all of that. I, I don't know if I believe the whole the universe will deliver things to you. But what I do believe is, you know, you'll see my vision boards down here on the floor. Is if you, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing at that now. No, they look cool. <laughs> they look cool. <laughs> You've got like uh, some uh, pink leopard print and uh, all it's sorts of crazy things. Got on a nice there. mix going on. I like it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's about understanding. If you have those visions in in mind and that objective, um, for me, it works visually um, to be able to map those things out, then you recognize opportunities more easily. So let me try and find an example. If I know I want to be a CEO one day, when a public speaking course comes up, I might be like, oh, that serves my goal. Mm. Um, And they say, you know, decide what kind of life you want and then say no to everything that isn't that. I think it helps you filter out which choices to make. And I think choice is a really important word. I don't think the universe delivers anything to you by accident. Um, But if you're clear on what you want, you'll end up seeing things more clearly and spotting the opportunities when they come along. Yeah, you become more, I guess, attuned to what you're trying to achieve. So the th- anything yeah. that facilitates towards that is you start becoming a m- more, I guess, aware. Yeah, there's something, I think it's called the Baden-Meinhof effect. Um, and they say, 
you could be talking about getting a, a VW car or whatever, and all of a sudden you'll start seeing VW cars on the road. Um, you you definitely give other things that sort of seep into the subconscious are given a different sort of quality once you pay attention to them. And like you were mm. saying about the negative thoughts, if you give attention to the negative thoughts, then you can spiral into that and it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's a really fascinating one about... Um, Darren Brown, you know that guy? Oh, he's amazing. Yeah? He's amazing. Absolutely fascinating. Um, someone sent me a video where he goes to a village and he, they're a very superstitious village, and he puts this lo- lucky dog statue or something in the middle of it, and all the people that sort of go along and touch this dog, and they're all getting very excited about it, but there's one guy who doesn't go along with it. I think he's a butcher. Um, he come, you know, He believes he's an unlucky guy. So then he starts, I don't want to say manipulating, but putting things in his path that would have challenged that perception. So um, he would put money on the floor or he would put something through the post that says scratch this off. And if he did scratched it off, he would have won a TV or whatever. They would have actually given that to him. But because he didn't believe of himself as lucky, he didn't notice these things. Or someone in the street going, you know, everybody who's called John or whatever his name was today, if they come, then they get X, Y, Z, and he just walks past when everyone else was stopping. So your your choices are different depending on what you believe about yourself. And luck is truly a perception when you think about it. No one's lucky or unlucky. It's just, you know, how do you frame that? Yeah. Um, and luck in particular, I think the way I see it is that luck comes when you're ready for it. So the way what I believe is that I have to do all the work I need to do on myself and in my journey to get to where I need to go. And the luck will come at a time when I've done enough maybe to either earn that luck or it's going to come at a time that's going it to... Was, it was either meant to come at that time, but you need to be... I think you also need to be ready for that opportunity when it comes because sometimes oh, yeah. things might come to you that you might not be you know, ready for. Well, I mean, the more I think about this, the more I think of luck as a complicated prospect because gratitude's another thing that's going and um, getting sort of the mainstream right now. However sort of down on your luck you are, when you practice gratitude, whether it's for the clothes that you wear or the family that love you, um, it's, it's a bit like that mountain analogy that we talked about before. You know, people would give the right arm for some of the things that you have so in a sense that we're all lucky I, I still think everybody's sort of struggle is true and valid and I don't want to say that you don't have things to be sad about but there's also something to say actually I'm lucky because of xyz and mm. again there's research to support that that will make you much happier than than the alternatives yeah no I, I totally agree with you know so many things that we've talked about today it's it all seems to circle back, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's all, it all comes full circle in the end. But I yeah. think we touched on a lot of, you know, very, I guess, diverse topics, yet within such a, within a similar, you know, concept as well. Um, for my last few questions, Lorna, I wanted to ask you, what is your vision with Women Who Want More? What are you hoping to achieve with that? And lastly, what's, I like to ask all my guests, what's the last little message that you'd like for people to take home? Okay. So my vision for women who want more is to give a platform to a million women in the Emirates and to create opportunities for themselves. Um, And the last thing I would like to leave people with today, again, that's, gosh, where do you start? I think the message I want to leave people with today is that you have a choice and that true freedom 
is in choosing the perception that you have. We can't change our objective reality. Some things are universal facts, but we can change our relationship to that. And once you really tap into that, you can make better choices going forward and reach out for help where you need it and be okay with that. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic message to leave people with. Something I totally agree with as well. I think the choices we make will you know, change our perception, will lead us to make better choices. And like you said, don't be afraid to ask for help because, you know, we all need help sometimes. Absolutely. Lorna, thank you so much for your time, for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. I love this conversation. You know, we I think we are similar in so many ways in the way we see things. So <laughs> I think so too. We're both <laughs> like nodding along like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, great point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And thank you. As always, guys, whoever's listening, thank you so much for listening. And as always, hope it helps. Peace.